Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of the muddy clay and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. How happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things, your wonderful works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, See, I have come. It is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I delight to do your will, my God. Your instruction lives within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My sins have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to deliver me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who seek to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be driven back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, Aha, aha, be horrified because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. I am afflicted and needy. The Lord thinks of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. And uh, Hebrews 10, 5 through 10. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not want sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I've come to do your will, God. After he says above, You did not want or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, See, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is the word of the Lord. Please turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 40. It's on page 508, I think. And let me pray. Lord God, you are so good and you've done so many wonderful things. And we gather here this morning longing to understand you better. Uh, Father, some of us here will be hurting and in pain. Would you, would you assure them and comfort them? For those of us who are proud and need humbling, would you do that, um, that kind work in our lives this morning? Uh, help me to handle your word rightly and give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name. We're going to begin this morning with a, a video, so take a look at this screen. The day that Zach died, there was a huge and sudden storm. The kind that creeps in without warning, comes at you fast, and leaves in an instant. 
as I was saying goodbye to my love, the clouds came, the earth shook, and the thunder rumbled. One year and eight days after being diagnosed with cancer, Zach stepped into eternity. Ever since I was a little girl, I asked God to bring me the perfect husband. Zach and I met in the fall of 1994, and after four years of dating, we got married. We added to the joy in our lives by having our only girl, Lizzie Darling. And then, 19 months later, God blessed us with our first boy, Jake. But our family wasn't complete there. We then had our cherry on top, Luke. We were a perfectly happy family of five. When Zach died, I was wrecked. In an instant, I had lost my husband, my best friend, and an incredible father. My world had changed forever. My identity in the past 17 years had been so much about who I was with Zach. He was my everything. Even though he dealt with a year-long battle of cancer, it seemed also sudden. And now the kids and I were left to learn how to grieve. We spent the next few months trying to figure out what this life without Zach was supposed to look like. His absence was overwhelming. I prepared way too much food at dinner, not remembering that he wasn't there to eat it with us. One side of the bed always stayed made. There was no one to sleep in it. His chair sat empty. And I no longer heard the sounds of him and the kids playing while watching TV. We were now a family of four. Grief is so hard. No one can tell you how you are going to feel or when it will strike. But God is so good and so faithful. He has given hope to our family. Hope for today when we grieve and all of the tomorrows that are yet to come. God has shown hope to my family through circumstances, gifts of goodness, and through the promises in his word. Zach and the boys were always such huge Broncos fans. And in October, we had the opportunity to fly to Denver, Colorado, and get to meet two of the Broncos players, Tim Tebow and Britton Colquitt. This was such a dream come true for my boys. And then in November, Family First Organization flew us to Tampa Bay, Florida, to receive the All Pro Dad Award from Tony Dungy. It was so awesome to see my kids receive a standing ovation in honor of their dad. It was such a blessing to see how Zach's story and suffering blessed others. But even after the incredible experiences God has brought to us and through the love and support that we received from family and friends, God ultimately shows his goodness to us through the promises in his word. Jeremiah 29.11 tells us that God has a plan for us, and that plan is to prosper, and it's for hope, and it's for a future. I tell my kids this all the time. God is not a God of chaos. He doesn't just throw stuff to us in our lives and then walk away. He has a plan for us. We might not always understand that plan, but we know that it is good. There are some days that are really hard, and yes, times are tough. But God reminds us of His goodness through the promises in His Word. God shows hope to people in different ways. What's been my experience might not be yours. But I can tell you this. If you desperately seek and run after Him, He will make Himself known to you. As Zach's soul left the earth and went to where it was meant to be, I looked out the window. And as the storm cleared, 
the sun began to shine through the clouds. It was then I realized that he was healed. He was no longer in pain. At that moment, God gave me hope. God knew that I would be a widow and mother to three at the age of 32. Why did he allow this to happen? I don't have all the answers, but I do know that I will praise God because through cancer and death and grief, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? God is not a God of chaos, and God does not throw stuff at us and walk away. God has a plan. We might not always understand what that plan is, but we know that it is good. That is pretty powerful words, aren't they? And I pray that no one in this room today goes through that kind of suffering. Although we have, some of us already. And some of us will. And my question for us all this morning is, how do you respond? Who do you run to? Who is your rock, your security, and your comfort in those times? And of course, it's not just the, the darkest tragedies of life, is it? It's the everyday trials of life. It's the everyday disappointments. It's the everyday hurts. Here this morning, we'll all face unemployment and bereavement and loneliness and depression and sickness and addictions or an unbelieving spouse or unruly kids or just sorrow. And again, you need to know where to turn to and who to turn to. Who is your rock? Who is your comfort? Psalm 40 is a wonderful psalm, a psalm of two halves. Uh, Verses 1 to 10, look back on the past and remind the times that God has helped us in the past. And verses 11 to 17 are about the present in the ongoing trials. Who do you turn to? And that'll be our division this morning. So firstly, praise the God who has helped in the past. Praise and glory to the God who has rescued you in the past. Uh, David, the psalmist, says, Stop and remember the many, 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 many times that God lifted you from the pit. Uh, David looked back at his life to a time in distress and he remembers God's helping hand. It's, It's like a personal testimony of God's help and God's deliverance and God's rescue. And I have to say the personal testimony is pretty powerful, isn't it? The personal story is often more powerful than a sermon. When you hear how God has been at work in real people, not just intellectual truths, but the personal experience of God. And just to give you a heads up, after our sermon this morning, there'll be a chance for open microphone for anybody to come forward and talk about how times in your life you were calling out to the Lord and he answered your prayers. But look at verse 1. What does David do? He says, I waited. I waited patiently for the Lord. Uh, that word patiently is far too weak. There's an intensity to that word. I, I waited and I really waited. I just waited and waited and waited for God. 
I love the fact that he doesn't say, I waited impatiently. I'm good at that. Come on, God. Answer me now. He doesn't say, I waited angrily for the Lord. Again, I'm pretty good at that. How dare you, God? He doesn't say, I waited doubtingly. God, I'm really, really struggling here. He says, I waited patiently. I waited for God to help me. I waited and waited and waited. We don't know how long he waited for. Weeks, months, years. Uh, What does he do whilst he's waiting on the Lord? Look at verse 1. Does he just turn to his friends? Does he just run to therapy? What does he do, verse 1? He cries to the Lord for help. Again, and again, that word cry, there's an intensity there. I, I begged the Lord. I pleaded with my God for help. I kept on talking to the one who could actually help me. And we're told in verse 1 that he turned to me. Uh, literally, he reached down to me. And he heard my cry. As you read the psalm, do you wonder what the, the trial was for David, what the tragedy was? We like to know those kind of things, you know. How, how bad was it really? Was it just a headache or was it a homicide? Was it a, a difficult boss or was it a deadly disease? What was, it, what was wrong with him? It's pretty bad in verse 2, isn't it? He describes himself as being in a desolate pit. Verse 2 again, a muddy clay, like Joseph being chucked into a pit and left to die. Like the person who's stuck in this mud, who's paralyzed, they're helpless. Those words pit and clay, they picture horror and helplessness. But what was it? Was it a sickness? Perhaps. Was it the evil of others? Maybe. Was it depression, disappointment, danger? Perhaps. We don't know what the trial was. We don't know what the tragedy was. We've got no idea to what David is referring to. And isn't that kind of God? Because if God told you exactly what was wrong in this moment, you would say, well, when I'm experiencing that, I will turn to Psalm 40. But this psalm is a psalm for all of us in every trial and every tragedy of life. This is how you respond to the stress and distress of life. When you're in that muddy clay moment, we wait patiently and we cry out to the Lord and we praise him. Because church, this is the reality. We will all find ourselves in this muddy clay moment at some point in your life. Being a Christian does not exempt you from sufferings and hardships. And my job as a pastor is is to prepare you for suffering. And Psalm 40 is wonderful preparation. David says, praise the God who has helped in the past. David looks back and remembers that time when God lifted him from the pit. Verse 2, he brought me up from the pit. He took me out of the clay and put my feet on the rock again. I was secure. I was firm. A solid ground again. And again, you've got to remember to do that. Remember all the times God has helped you in the past. Now remember the illness that he healed you of. Remember the grief that he brought you through. Remember the broken heart that he healed. Remember the betrayal that he, mem- he mended. 
Remember the difficult divorce he got you through. He lifts you out of the pit and learn from your past sufferings. Because when you're in the muddy clay moment, when you're in the pit again, it's really hard to see beyond that moment, isn't it? So how does David keep on praising God? He put a new song in my mouth. This is what Bono based the words 40, you know the YouTube song 40, on this verse. A new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. How do you do this? How do you keep on praising God? Three ways. He trusts God, he obeys God, and he proclaims God. See the trust in verse 4? How happy is the man who has put his trust in the Lord? How blessed is the, is the man or the woman who has a deep, deep confidence in God? And in times of despair, verse 4, you haven't turned to the proud. You don't rely on yourself. In times of despair, you don't run after lies. You don't listen to the lies of the world. You don't find your refuge in shopping or alcohol or food or fitness. You trust the Lord. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. And you lean not on your own understanding. Now, what is it about God that he particularly trusts? What part of God's character does David really acknowledge and trust here? Look at verse 5. Lord my God, you have done many things. Your wonderful works and your plans for us. None can compare with you. See, particularly he knows God's works and God's plans. He knows God's character. God is sovereign. God's in control. God has a plan. What did Mandy say in the video? We don't always understand God's plans, but they're always good. The God of the Scriptures has a plan for each one of our lives. Psalm 139 is an amazing verse. All, all the days ordained for us were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God knew this was going to happen to David. God knew how he would rescue David and when he would rescue David. And as David is crying out to the Lord, he's not informing God of things that God doesn't know. He's just trusting to God to do his work in his good timing. And your doctrine of the sovereignty of God will be the biggest comfort in your suffering. God is not surprised by your muddy clay moment. He planned it. And he knows the way out of it. So keep trusting him. Keep obeying him. That's what verses 6 to 8 are all about. He says to God, God, you don't delight in sacrifice and offerings. You open my ears to listen, to hear you. You didn't ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. He's saying there, God, I can't repay you. I can't pay you back by bringing some bull or some goat or two turtle doves. We, kind of do, we tend to do that, don't we? Like, when God has helped us in the past, we make all these big, bold promises to God. God, I'm going to come to church every single week now because you've helped me. As though you're paying God back in some way. What does God want from us? He wants our obedience. He wants our heart. At verse 7, I said, I've come. It's written about me in the volume of the scroll. I delight to do your will, my God, 
I look at your word and I love your law and I meditate on it and I delight to do it. The God who has a plan for my life, that is the God I'm going to obey. So offer my whole life to him. In the book of James, it says, that consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the trial brings perseverance and completion and the way that God matures you and grows you through the trials and makes you a more obedient, delightful son or daughter of God. Please don't go through trials and tragedies without growing in your godliness and your obedience. What a waste that is. But you might have noticed that verses 6 to 8 were quoted in the letter to the Hebrews in chapter 10 and it's talking all about the Lord Jesus who was the sacrifice, was the burnt offering and did delight to do God's will always. And so as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're called to obey him and to live for him and to live for his glory. So you trust God and you obey God, but you also talk about God, you proclaim God. As you think about all the ways that God has rescued you from the pit, your lips should be bubbling over with praise and proclamation for how good God is. See that in verse 9? I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I don't keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I didn't hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke. I talked about your faithfulness. I talked about your salvation. I talked about your love and your truth. Whenever I gathered, I was talking about you, God. And you know, I read this verse and I go, oh, he's one of those people, one of those God talkers. You know those people that you meet who are always talking about God. They bring God into everything, the good and the bad. And over morning tea, they don't want to talk about the soccer, they want to talk about God. There's a lady at church who's just moved from Sunday night to Sunday morning church. I think Catherine, you're there, Catherine. <laughs> like, Catherine's always talking about God. Like Every second word of God's done this and God's amazing and God's goodness here, even through the hard times of life. And it's not just a God talkers. That's each one of us are called to be like that. When you've understood who God is and his goodness towards you and his righteousness and his love, we're supposed to proclaim his character to other people. The psalmist talks in the assembly. When he gathers with God's people, they talk about God. I'll say it again. The personal testimony is so very, very powerful. Will you share your stories about the ways you've cried out to God and he's answered your prayers? Give God the glory. And not just in church, but to the world. See that in verse 3, why, why has God put a new song in the psalmist's heart? Why is he praising God with his lips? So many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. The people who may never walk through the, the doors of this church, they'll meet you in the street. They'll meet you at work. And as you talk about your God and what he's done for you, he may use that to bring them to trust in Christ. So praise the God who's helped you in the past. Remember all the ways last year and 10 years ago that he rescued you and saved you. That's his character. But Church Bibles, please hear this. Just because you've been through one particularly bad trial does not exempt you from trials in the future. Just because you've suffered the messiest of divorces 
does not exempt you from getting cancer. And just because you survived cancer doesn't exempt you from depression or betrayal or tragedies. It's the fallen world that we live in. So the next time that you go through your trial, the next time you go through your tragedy, who are you going to run to? Who is your rock? That's why I love this psalm, because David is in trouble again. It's kind of ironic, the, the link between verse 10 and verse 11. Did you spot it? He talks about when he gathers with God's people, he's talking about God's constant love and God's truth. But when he turns to verse 11... He's in trouble. Lord, don't withhold your compassion from me again. Your constant love and your truth will always guide me. It's like he's talking to himself. I preached it from the pulpit. Now I'm preaching to myself because I'm in trouble again. My troubles without number have surrounded me. I'm in the pit again. My sins have overtaken me. That's the lesson that Rachel and I have learned in life. We are slow to learn. We're slow to learn who to run to and who to trust. I mean, you know Rachel's story about being a widow aged 27. Uh, but when uh, Rachel went into premature labor with Nathaniel at the 28-week mark, and we're there going, oh, you know, we're going to go full term. God's not going to let this baby come early. As if we know what God's plans are. And then God brought Elijah, uh, Nathaniel along very early. And then the waters broke again with Elijah at 32 weeks. Like, oh, here we go again. But we're just really slow to learn. We're slow to keep running back to God and trusting God. How many times do you have to take you to the pit before you learn the lesson to run to him? This particular moment in verse 12, it seems as though David is deeply aware of his own sin. My troubles without number have surrounded me. My sins have overtaken me. I'm unable to see. It could have been his pride or his greed or his lust or his laziness or his selfishness. But he is totally aware of how wretched he is. Again, I don't know. Maybe he's becoming more and more godly because the more godly you become, sometimes the more wretched you feel. He kind of feels, I'm a disgusting Christian. And so he cries out to God again, verse 13, Lord, be pleased to deliver me. Hurry, please. Hurry to help me. You see, you, you can wait patiently and still ask God to act quickly. We don't like being in the pit for too long, do we? It's his own sin, verse 12. It's his enemies in verse 14 and 15. Those who torment him, those who tease him, those who make his life miserable. But he keeps on praying. He keeps on crying out to God again. And he keeps on proclaiming how good God is. You see that in verse 16? Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. That those who love your salvation continually say the Lord is great. Not the Lord was great, but the Lord is great today and he'll be great tomorrow. Yes, I'm afflicted. Yes, I'm needy. But the Lord sees me. The Lord knows me. The Lord has a plan for me. And he's my helper. He's my deliverer. So Lord God, do not delay. Please help. Please turn to me. Please hear my cry. I'm in the pit again. I'm in the muddy clay. So I'm going to ask you, who do you run to? Who do you turn to in those muddy clay moments? 
Do you really trust God? Do you obey God? Do you know he's able to deliver you? He, he may not do that immediately. He may make you wait and wait and wait. He might not deliver you completely. But he can do it, so keep on praising him. So praise the God who helped in the past. Pray to the God who can help you today. But wait patiently. I'm going to end with another true story. And then I'll hand it over to you to come and share your stories. Uh, this is Mike's story. Mike grew up in Chicago. Uh, he felt the call to be a missionary. And so he went to Bolivia in his mid-30s as a single man to proclaim the gospel to the Bolivians. Uh, he met his wife on the mission field. Single woman, also a missionary. They married in their late 30s and they were blessed with a beautiful baby girl. The mission agency told them to come back to Chicago to do a PhD. So they came back to Chicago to, to TED's, to Trinity. Uh, six months after he started his PhD, his wife was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Double mastectomy, chemotherapy. Miraculously, God healed her. <laughs> Praise God for that. Uh, six months later, Mike himself was diagnosed with uh, acute stomach cancer. <laughs> And they were told that they couldn't operate. But they flew him to North America and they had this sort of experimental treatment on colon cancer on the stomach. And again, miraculously, after six months of treatment, he was healed. Uh, just before he finished his PhD, his wife's cancer returned again. And this time she died. So he's left as a widower with a, now a six-year-old daughter. So what does he do? Shout at God. Get bitter at God. He goes back to Bolivia. <laughs> onto the mission field. He's still there telling people about Jesus and how good God is. If you ever get the chance to hear him speak in a church, listen carefully. He attests me to the goodness of God. Yes, there are moments he cried out in the pit. But God was good. And God is good. So I'll hand it over to you. Come forward to the microphone. When are the times in your life when you waited patiently for the Lord? Those muddy clay moments when he lifted you from the pit.